Good morning. Greetings. In Jesus' name this morning, blessing be able to gather, worship the Lord, encourage one another. Because the Bible begins as we read what God has recorded for us. It begins with God creating the world and setting in motion what we know is time. So we read the creation account. After each act of creation, Scripture says, and the evening and the morning were the first day, the second day, and the third day, the fourth. Time marked for the consistent and reliable rotation of the earth and orbit of the earth around the sun has been man's measure ever since God created. Our lives are defined by years, by months, by weeks, by days, by hours, minutes, and seconds. We don't know anything else. Those measurements touch every area of our life and everything that we do. But just as God's Word clearly tells us that just as, as God's act of creation set in motion these, these uh, measurements of time, God's Word also tells us that there's going to be a time or a, a point in time when all of that ends. Many places in Scripture, Old Testament as well as New Testament, there are references to the last days, to the end of the world, to to the end of all things. The scripture makes it clear that just as there was a point of the beginning of time, as we know it, that there's also going to be a point of the end of time, as we know it. And Scripture is also clear that there are certain things that are going to indicate that that point is drawing near. I recently heard someone speaking about the last days. And it spurred my thinking and got the wheels of my mind turning in relation to this subject. And there's many references that I'd like to look at this morning, but we can't look at them all. And so I'd like to look at one chapter this morning where this is addressed. It's actually the person who was speaking was referring to this chapter 
like to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'd like to read the entire chapter. I'm only going to be commenting on probably a little over half of it, but uh, it all ties together, and so I think we'll read the entire chapter and then look at certain portions. 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of these for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead to captive silly women, laden with sin, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here we have some instructions from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He begins this passage by saying, This know also. What he's getting ready to say is, is a fact. It's a truth. We need to recognize that the idea of the end of time or the end of the world is something that is sure, even though it is our human nature to believe that things are just going to continue on as they are, at least in some form. I invite you to turn back a little bit to Second Peter. Second Peter 3, I just want to read a few verses there regarding this, this idea of, or this belief that 
things will continue on as they are. Let's read Second Peter three, three through seven. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and say, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same by the same excuse me, let me start over at verse seven. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter's saying there that there's going to be in the last days people that scoff, that say, where's, where's this promise of the second coming? Where's this promise of the end of the age? He says that those people are willingly ignorant of the fact that there was a previous time when because of the sinfulness and wickedness of mankind upon the earth, that God brought judgment to the earth by the act of a flood. And that in the same way, by the same word, there is kept in reserve a judgment of fire which will come upon the earth. Also to deny the end of time and the second coming of Christ is to deny or disbelieve Jesus Christ himself, who many times spoke of the end of the world and of his coming. So we must accept the fact, or accept as fact, that there will be an end to time as we know it. And at that time, final judgment sinful mankind. So what we see in this passage here in back in Second Timothy three, but not only here, but other places, specifically in Jesus' teachings, that the last days will be marked by troublesome times and difficulties for the believer. Paul here in the King James Version is called Perilous Times. And I found it interesting in places when you're looking at a subject like this to compare different translations and how they translate a word like this. So that so other other translations, instead of using the word perilous times, they use terrible times, times of stress. Grievous times and difficult times gives us a little clue into what we can expect as time as we know it starts to wind down to an end. We need to recognize why there will be difficult times. I don't believe that God designed the end days to be difficult to simply to prove a point or whatever. But the end times will be difficult times brought on because of people's rejection 
of the truth. And refusal to recognize God as sovereign and to accept and live according to His ways. So here in 2 Timothy 3, Paul gives a list of things that we can expect to see. Things we can expect to see in people's lives, in their character, as we approach the last times, the last days. And I've always looked at this list, read over it, with the view that that this list of things that Paul gives here is a list of outside influences upon the believer. It's what we'll see in the world around us that we need to guard ourselves against. But I found it interesting that at least two well-known commentators, that being Adam Clark and Matthew Henry, both raised the possibility that this list is talking about people within the church. I want you to think about that as we look at this passage, and we'll talk about that a little more later on. Now, we can't look at each of these things in this list in depth, but I do want to go over this list and just make a few comments, uh, give a little definition of each of these things that he lists here. Because as we look at these warnings, it can help us to identify not only the fact that we're living in the last days, but I think that as we go over this list and what these things are and what they what they mean, if we take a closer look, it can help us to see where I, maybe you, need to weed out some things in our lives that may be creeping in in these last days. So first of all, we see that men will be lovers of their own selves. This is a focus on self at the expense of others. A focus on self at the expense of spirituality. It's a gratification of selfish desires ahead of serving others in Christian love. Brother Darrell talked about love, you know, love for our brothers, for our fellow men, for, for sharing the gospel message. It's a, it's a love of self ahead of a love and a concern from other people. A focus on the carnal rather than upon the spiritual. Covetousness. Next. In a broad sense, covetousness is speaking of the desire to attain for myself what I desire, my own selfish desires. And I thought you know, a lot of these go hand in hand with each other. And this in many ways, it goes hand-in-hand with being a lover of your own self. But I also found it interesting that more specifically, and this is especially interesting in light of the verse that Benjamin read first this morning, 
the Greek word is, is interpreted here as covetousness. The meaning is to be fond of silver. So I think that this this trait of covetousness, yes, we need to look at it in a broader sense, but I really wonder if what Paul wasn't really hitting at here is the love of money. Moving on, boasters. Literally, that means to be a braggart. And I can't help but say it had to make me think of social media and all the self-promotion that goes on in our world today. Boasters. Proud. Being proud is placing oneself above others. Being haughty. Again, it goes hand in hand with, with being a boaster. Blasphemers. Blasphemer, one who speaks out against God, against his truth. Uh, you know, we would understand, uh, you know, the scripture talks, Jesus talks about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which would be attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Uh, but blasphemy is, is anything that speaks out against God and against his truth. Or it may even refer to those who speak abusively or defamatorily against other people, especially those who stand for God and for truth. It's the idea of those who speak against what is good and what is of God. Next is disobedience to parents. I guess that doesn't really need a whole lot of explanation. We live in a time that's plagued with children who are disobedient, disrespectful to their parents. We, a couple months ago, we looked at Ephesians 6. And talked about how that when children disobey their parents, they are disobeying that God-ordained authority over them, and they're setting themselves up to struggle to obey other authorities in their life. Next is unthankful. Being without appreciation for the things that we have. You know, different times in Scripture, we're commanded as believers, to be thankful, to be content, or to be content with, with what we have. Uh, reference escapes me right now, but we're told that having food and rain, that we're to be content. So the last days are going to be marked by people who don't have an appreciation for what they have. It was hand in hand with being covetous. Longing for something that we don't have. Longing for the greener grass on the other side of the fence. Unholy. To be holy is to have godly qualities and characteristics within our lives. Not to be stained by sin. So to be unholy is to reject 
holiness and the righteous characteristics of God that we're supposed to take on as believers. A refusal to surrender our unholy sinful nature that we all have to that holy and righteous nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you know, to 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 do that, to become holy, there's a lot of things we have to lay aside in our lives. There's a lot of things we have to avoid. There's a lot of things we have to not do, especially in this wicked world that we live in. Next, without natural affections. The idea here is being hard-hearted, especially towards our children, our, our families, those that are close to us. Truth breakers. Definition of that can kind of go a couple of different directions. One idea of it is those who don't keep the promises, which is what we would naturally think when we would think someone is a truth breaker. But some translations translate truth breaker as, as unforgiving. And the reason they do that is that the original Greek has the meaning of being without a truth. In other words, it's someone who cannot be entreated. They refuse reconciliation. So, yes, it can mean those who aren't keeping their promises, but it also can mean those who refuse reconciliation, who refuse to forgive. Next is false accusers. False accusers. Those who falsely strive to ruin the character of others, to slander. The Greek word for false accuser here is diabolos, which means one who accuses or slanders. That word is used 36 times in the New Testament. 33 of those times it is translated the devil. The devil is our accuser. He is Diablos. And so a false accuser is someone who is slandering, who is doing the devil's work. Next, inconstant, which is to be without self-control. It describes those who have given themselves over to the lusts and desires of the flesh. They're unable to resist their fleshly desires and urges. And it also may describe those who have not necessarily given themselves over to those urges, but yet they have failed to master those desires. They struggle to overcome, but yet they fail to overcome. They have not found victory. They're, they're, they're in that trap of wanting to do right, but not having the power, the spiritual power to overcome. And they're living that they're living that struggle of striving for victory and failing, and striving for victory and failing. It's not God's plan for the believer. I think we've all been there. It's something we need to overcome. 
Next is fierce. That's the opposite of being mild or gentle. You know, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And those who are fierce lack this quality. It goes along maybe without with being incontinent, incontinent or being without self-control. Despisers of those who are good. Being hostile towards virtue. Hostile towards what is good. Or in opposition, opposition to people and things that represent God's holiness. Next is traitors. To be a traitor is to betray another into the enemy's hands. You know, Jesus predicted in the last times that there's going to be a time when even family members will betray their other family members to those who seek their lives, seek to persecute. I would say that that tendency is probably driven by the one above that being a despiser of those things that are of, of things that are good. Next is heady. Heady is being headstrong, not willing to consider or give in to others. I thought it was interesting that the Greek words for heady it's a compound word that actually means falling forwards. We say you know, somebody falls head over heels. The idea, I guess, would be falling head over heels for self, for the direction we want to go. Other translations use the words rash and reckless, indicating someone who's, who's just following headlong their own way, not seeking the input and counsel of others. The opposite of being meek and submissive. Next is high-minded, similar to head, being full of themselves. Other translations use haughty, conceited, puffed up. Last, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. This describes those who serve the God of pleasure rather than the God of heaven. Those whose main focus in life is seeking for fun and pleasure and enjoyment rather than seeking God. An unwillingness to sacrifice pleasure for, for the things of God. Again, extremely descriptive of so many in our day to day. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, people that struggle to find time to be in a church on Sunday morning because they're out having fun. They're serving the God of pleasure. Now, at the end of this somewhat extensive list of, of traits that we can expect to see in people at the last days, we have an interesting statement in verse 5 
He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I mentioned earlier several commentators that expressed that these character traits may even be expressed to people within the church. And when I read that, I was kind of a little shocked and wasn't sure how I agreed with that. But as I studied this, I started to understand why they were saying that. These warnings we see are not about heathen people who haven't made a profession of godliness and Christianity. Rather, they're warnings about people, he says, who have a form of godliness. They make an outward profession, but they don't embrace the power of true godliness. Rather, they're displaying these ungodly characteristics in their lives, and at the same time, making a profession of godliness. And he admonishes us from such turn away. I'd like to consider that a little. I think we probably all have a pretty good idea of what it means to have a form of godliness. The idea there is putting on an outward appearance of being godly. One commentator says that they make a show of religion. But in spite of how they appear or present themselves, he says that they've denied the power of the religion that they claim to have. So what is the power that they have denied? The power that they have denied is the power of the gospel message to change lives. It's the power to take away these sinful characteristics of the flesh. That list is a list of things, of, of works of the sinful nature. It's not a list of things that are a product of a changed heart. A heart changed by the power of the gospel. In Galatians 5, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. Our characteristics that will be displayed in the life of a person who is being changed by the power of the gospel message. And I'd like to read that, but as I read it, think about the contrast with many of these things that are listed in 2 Timothy 3. This is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's quite a contrast to the list that, that we're given there in Second Timothy three. So how then do we embrace the power of the gospel in our lives? How do we make sure that we're displaying the fruit of the Spirit rather than denying the power of the gospel like he 
says about these people in Second Timothy three? The answer is there in Galatians five as well. In the following verse, it says this, verse twenty four. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. There's two two steps to attaining to a life that is changed by the power of the gospel message. The first step is to accept the invitation to surrender to Jesus Christ. To surrender to him as the Lord of our life. But the next step is here in Galatians 5.24. And that is to crucify our flesh with its affections and lust. Both of these things are a conscious choice. The first one of surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a one-time choice. Christ comes and knocks on our heart's door and calls us, and we surrender. We take a stand. Another choice is a daily choice. The daily choice is surrender. Surrendering what our flesh desires to the will of the Father. Our affections and our lusts. It's the things that our flesh desires. The things that are near and dear to us as as physical human beings. That list, Second Timothy 3, is a list of things that are manifest by a person who is controlled to those affections and the lusts of the flesh. Those that have not said no to those desires. So we're called to crucify those things daily to avoid finding ourselves in this list in Second Timothy 3. Go back to thinking about the last days. How many of you would say that these things in 2 Timothy 3 are prevalent in today's society? See a good many hands. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but what about among professing Christians? What about even worse than that within our own churches? Worse than that, what about my life? Are any of these evident in my life? As I studied for this message, I was personally convicted on some of these points. It's easy to have a passage like this and you read across it, and I didn't time myself, but I think I could read that list in somewhere probably, I'm guessing, in the 10-second time frame or a little less. And you reach it, it's gone, and your mind's on to something else. You take the time to think about and apply it to your own life. Like I said, there are things that are the fruit of the flesh and nature without an ongoing alertness and a willingness to crucify self daily. They're going to start to creep into our lives. And you know, a bunch of hands went up when I said, are these things evidence in the world around us. And that means that you all are seeing them. And you know what happens when we see these things? They come to be 
become normalized in our thinking. Unless we're viewing these things through the lens of God's Word, they become normalized and we don't think about how far off-centered they are for the Christian. We face an ongoing battle that is going to become uh, more uh, battle against these things that will be more prevalent, more uh, more of a battle as, as time goes on. We must be on our guard. I'd like to then look a little further down in this chapter. Uh, verse 13, we're told that evil men and seducers, those by, who by deception draw away others, a seducer is someone who would take someone who believed and draw them away to something false. It says that they will grow worse and worse. And I find it interesting that he says they'll be deceiving and being deceived. These people have been deceived themselves, and their goal is to deceive others, to pull others down as well. And it says that during the last days we can expect an increase of people who are not only deceived themselves but are making a strong effort to pull down you and to pull down me spiritually. It's going to be a dangerous time for the believer who is not firmly grounded on the truth. Because you know that truth is the antidote to deception. Verses 14 through 17 then have some answers for us to that spiritual danger. He says the word, he, he was speaking to Timothy specifically, but these things apply to us as well. He says that we're con to continue in what we have been taught, that those who are sound in the faith, that those who have stood faithful and not given in, that those who have not been swayed by popular opinions, or the latest religious fads. We're continuing what we have been taught, what we have learned. Now, I'm blessed to have Brother Elwin here this morning. You know, I think back as a little boy, I remember Elwin preaching. You know, we need to hold up those that have went before us who have stood the test and have remained faithful and haven't wandered off from where they stood. Unfortunately, there's so many people in the world today who have made a good start, spiritually speaking, and then been led off, and they're somewhere way off in the bushes compared to where they started. And so let's hold up those who have been faithful and who have maintained and charted a course that is safe to follow. And let's Continue, as he says here, continue thou and the things thus learned from those who have been, who have went before us. We're also to base our lives on the truth of the scriptures. I said the truth is the antidote to deception. It is 
through the scriptures that we become aware of our need of salvation, and it's through the scriptures, or through his knowledge of the scriptures that will carry us through these troublesome times. Because as we see here, the scriptures come from God, we know that they're true. We know that they can be depended on, even in the midst of troublesome times and the onslaught of many who we deceive. You know, as I said, the only way to be deceived is to not be able to tell falsehood from truth. And so for thoroughly knowledgeable of the truth, deception becomes unlikely. In fact, I believe that if we do the things contained here of continuing in what we have been taught for those who have went before us, and if we focus on the scriptures, and we recognize and hold them up as truth, I think that we have much protection from deception. No matter what comes. We see in verse 16 that the scriptures will teach us doctrine, which is Christian truth. They will rebuke us, which is bringing conviction for our sins. They also correct us when we go astray. All of that works together to perfect us, to prepare us for good works, to lead us away from the natural, fleshly desires that each one of us battles, and to lead us toward a life that displays the fruit of the Spirit rather than this list that he gives in 2 Timothy 3. Brothers and sisters, I firmly believe that we're living in the last days. I don't know how long that time period is. I don't know if Christ's return will happen while I'm living on this earth or not. But I believe that we're living in the last days. We're living in perilous times, troublesome times. Jesus said that we should be alert to the signs of the end of the age. He said in Luke 21, 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. So let's be alert and be vigilant so that we won't be deceived and that we won't allow any of these ungodly characteristics and traits to, to influence us, to become evident in our lives. Let's keep our lives holy and pure in preparation for that day of our Lord's return. As I said earlier, my thinking was spurred when I heard someone else speaking of the last days in reference to this passage. And as I was struck with the thought, as I thought about it, I thought about this list, as I listened to that person, about these terrible times, you know, I guess it was, maybe it was a little bit oppressive to me. I was thinking, you know, wow, you know, we live in these last days and we're facing these terrible times. And then the thought came to me that it's a personal choice where I find myself in those terrible times. Those times are going to come. Those times are here today. 
don't have to be part of these things that are evidences of that time. By God's grace, you and I can choose by the grace of God to live above these attitudes, these character traits that are evidenced by people who are rejecting the truth of God's Word. Perilous times may come, but we can face them with confidence. We surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we surrender to Him and as we stand firm upon His Word. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I said as I studied this, I personally was convicted that there's some areas in my life that I have room to grow. I'm going to just give a little bit of an invitation. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And if anyone else wants to make that commitment, that you have an area of your life, as we looked at this list this morning, if there was something that the Spirit spoke to you that convicted you that you have room to grow, that one of these characteristics is is becoming evidenced in your life in some way. I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads right now, and if you're convicted of anything, I just invite you to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, I confess that I have room to grow, but I have not always displayed all of the character traits that you would have. And I ask for your strength for myself and for all of these to be gracious enough to acknowledge this morning where they have had a lack and failure in their life. I just ask for courage as each of us grow, strive to grow in you. Lord, I just pray your blessing on this congregation that each one who is here today would endeavor daily to avoid these things that would drag us down. That we would be faithful in these perilous times. That we could all be faithful to the end, whether the end comes upon our death whether the end comes upon your return, may we each be found faithful. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.